Hey everyone, this is Phil Albertelli from the Weekend Out podcast. This episode is going to be in response to the amazing atheist and another YouTuber called The Kraut and Tea. Specifically, it's going to be in response to Kraut and Tea's recent appearance on the Drunken Peasants podcast. And I know not everyone watches YouTube or keeps up with the latest drama, so to try to put things into context, I'll give you a brief summary of what's going on. TJ Kirk, aka The Amazing Atheist, is an extremely popular YouTuber who's just shy of about 900,000 subscribers. The Drunken Peasants, the show he does with his best friend and his brother, has about 118,000 subscribers, both a heck of a lot better than my meager 2,500, just about. Now, Kraut and T, and the way TJ uh, pronounced it made me think it was Krauten, one word, kind of like Crichton from Farscape. There's a nerdy reference for you. Uh, but it's three words, Kraut, as in uh, the slang word for a German, and tea, like the hot, earthy beverage, which I can't stand. Got a sweet tooth, what can I say? Ironically, I am drinking uh, a twisted tea while recording this, but that's a whole nother animal. Kraut & Tea's an, an upcoming YouTuber. He has about 8,000 subscribers, I believe. And I hadn't even been aware of him until some drama flared up between himself and TJ. And I have to say, I really like him. I think he's smart, down-to-earth, uh, insightful. And like everyone else, I love his voice. I thought his voice was a put-on at first because it had this almost soothing theatrical quality to it. But turns out it's the real deal. He's Bavarian, and I guess, generally speaking, that's what they sound like. Well, the drama or disagreement between Kraut and TJ, I feel kind of weird saying Kraut, uh, that I alluded to was over, you guessed it, Islam, or more specifically, Islamic terrorism. Now, if you listen to my audio-only podcast, but you don't spend a lot of time on YouTube, the YouTube atheist community is pretty much divided over the subject of Islam, as well as over some other tangentially related issues like political correctness, feminism, assorted so-called social justice issues, etc. I criticize Islam regularly on this show, but I'm not as sanguine about it as some one week I might, so to speak, pick on Christianity, the next week I might pick on Islam, sometimes both, or religion in general. It all depends what stories are in the news, or what I feel like talking about on a given week. But I found this little feud between Kraut and TJ very interesting, because I thought it brought up some very important questions that I think about a lot. Like, do some people get too worked up about Islam, or do some of us not get worked up enough? Is political correctness causing us to turn a blind eye or adopt too soft of an approach to issues such as mass immigration? Are our leaders, and by our I mean um, us uh, in, in, in the Western world, uh, particularly in Europe right now, I'm in the States, are our leaders enacting policies out of some misguided sense of political correctness that may end up having serious and deleterious repercussions for Western civilization? And these are topics that I'm still wrestling with myself, and I thought doing this response episode might help me explore these issues more deeply and maybe help me to crystallize my own thoughts on the matter. 
Now, TJ a while back had issued a tweet, which I myself had criticized on the show. It was probably months ago now, but he statistically compared death by terror attacks to death by more mundane causes like car accidents and influenza. Now, I had said, and I'm paraphrasing myself now, something to the effect that I thought TJ was factually right, that thousands more people die in the West every year from things like car accidents than die by acts of terrorism. But my problem was that I thought there was something cold or callous about this approach, as if saying, hey, thousands upon thousands die every year by accident or disease. Why get worked up about a little terrorism? And in fairness, TJ will go on to make the point in the clips I'm going to play that he supposedly used those statistics not to diminish the seriousness of terrorism, but to make the point that we shouldn't be ruled by fear of terrorism when we're much more statistically likely to die by other means. And I'll chime in on that again later. But Kraut also took offense to this tweet, or tweets, I can't remember if there were more than one and made mention of it in a recent video he made concerning Europe and mass immigration and terrorism. TJ saw the video and made a response, and Kraut made a follow-up response to the response, and it's kind of like Inception. It may get even a little more confusing because in the clip, or clips plural I'm going to play, they also both respond to their response videos while they're being played. Man. But I guess I'll kick things off. Here we go. TJ, did you even watch the whole video? Or were you uh, just looking for parts? With no, I watched. Made? I watched the whole thing. Uh, he watched. The whole, I gave the whole thing a, a watch. Me through. and him watched the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Scotty I mean, was there. Scotty okay. is as Scotty as my witness. I did. I watched the whole thing. It's the only way I believe it. <laughs> but yeah, I was more interested in the parts about me than anything else. I know. You know that. I don't know, yeah. dude. Like the 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 video did like the first part of the video did have a very like distinct opening minutes at the annual meeting of the Royal Art Society tone to them. Like, it was kind of, it plotted That a is bit. merely the way I speak, unfortunately. <laughs> There's nothing I, like, I can do about that. I like, I, hey, Paul, why are you being so mean? I like, I like his video. I like the fucking part. I mean, like, oh, I didn't I'm about to mean. say, I'm about to say uh, in a minute here that I agreed with those parts. That's why I didn't argue with him, because, like, I don't feel the need to argue with shit I agree with. And well, you did later point. say... Now, I will say... So, I mean, if I'm, if I'm going to address a video, I can't address the side points. I got to address the main point. I mean, I did. Well, I, I said I agree yeah. with it. No, 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 no. That is not what I'm saying. But you have to agree that this is probably what caused a lot of confusion. And I think the confusion that they're referencing here is that TJ's response seemed to focus on the statistical comparisons and how you're more likely to die by other means than by an act of terrorism, whereas perhaps the lion's share of Kraut's video dealt with the negative cultural repercussions of mass immigration and the stifling air of political correctness in much of Europe right now, where people feel like they can't even criticize Islam or speak openly about their reservations about mass immigration. Sure. A lot of people accused you of intentionally sidestepping the initial part of the video. Yeah, but I don't understand that given the part you're just about to play here. In fairness, that much of your video is correct. When you talk about the danger Islam poses to your country by refusing to integrate and adopt the pluralistic values of the West. 
which is what the video was mainly about. True. But let's get to that later. So, okay. uh, all right, you sauerkraut. You get it? Sauerkraut? Yeah. Take <laughs> your fucking feels out of the equation for a minute. Take your politics out of the equation and look at this shit objectively. How many Europeans <laughs> died in car crashes in 2015? Mm -hmm. How dare you speed me up? Drum roll, please. Oh, no. 150. Sit. 150 <clears throat> people. Yeah. More people die in my country every year from choking on their food. That's 4,000. Imagine someone standing in court before a judge being accused of murdering someone. And his defense is, but why are you talking on and on about that murder I committed when the murderer you sentenced last week murdered two more people than me? Seems like a You're fair also point. comparing apples and oranges. What's wrong with that? They're both fruit. They're both round. There's lots of basis of comparison between then, apples and then oranges. Let's say comparing apples with stones. Apples with stones? Stones yeah. could be round Two like apples as well. Completely different thing. But not Maybe. exactly edible. I don't see, but I mean, like, I, I think, you know, you're comparing them as causes of death. So, I mean, terrorism is a cause of death. Sure. Choking, you know, it can be a cause of death. Car crashes can be a cause of death. Influenza can be a cause of death. And this is what I mean by that kind of cold and callous demeanor. And I'm not trying to pick on TJ. I'm actually a fan of both his channels, The Amazing Atheist and The Drunken Peasants. But for most of us, I don't think it's just about the cold clinical crunching of numbers. It's about other factors too, like intent. I mean, we're human beings. Most of us with a sense of empathy or moral justice would say, even if you're more likely to die in a car accident or from influenza, there's a difference between dying in an accident or through a quote-unquote act of God, I say as an atheist, you know what I mean, um, being killed by a pathogen or a, a natural disaster or something like that, and being intentionally murdered. I remember being a little kid and hearing this horrible story, and maybe you're familiar with it, about Adam Walsh. Adam Walsh was this young boy who was abducted from a shopping mall, beheaded, and later his, his head was found floating in a river. And that story has always stuck with me and it's haunted me. And you might be familiar with his father, John Walsh. John Walsh was so affected by the brutal murder of his child that he went on to become a kind of crusader against crime. And you may remember him as the host of America's Most Wanted. And another horrible story that I've mentioned a number of times on the show is that of the Pettit family, where we had this family in Connecticut, I believe, father, mother, the father was a doctor, and two daughters, I think a daughter who may have been in her mid to late teens, and then maybe a prepubescent daughter. And these two guys that, have, that had just got, gotten out of prison invaded the house. I think they tied up or chained the father to a pole in the basement, savagely beat him. One of the criminals forced the mother to go to the bank and withdraw money for him. And the mother managed to 
you know, calmly without drawing too much attention, alert the teller. And so the cops knew that these guys had invaded this home. And the cops were kind of keeping their distance, trying to come up with a strategy, etc. And in the interim, one of the criminals had raped the prepubescent daughter, and the other criminal was jealous, so he raped the mother. Uh, I believe they tied the mother and the two daughters to their beds or whatever, set the house on fire, so the daughters and the mother burned alive, and the father somehow managed to escape and crawl to the neighbor's house. And maybe kind of like Anderson Cooper on CNN, I don't mention the criminals' names because I, you know, I kind of wish they were erased from history. We should learn from their horrible deeds so we can try to prevent things like that from happening in the future. But I, I think the scumbags, you know, um, kind of reminds me of ancient Egypt when they would try to erase someone's name from uh, a tomb wall or something like that. I think they should be erased from history other than acting as a kind of cautionary tale or something like that, or an example of the lowest depths of uh, human evil. And I don't want to go off topic and go on a tangent about my feelings on the death penalty. I almost made a whole video as a response to a TYT video I watched recently where Jimmy Dore, Brett Ehrlich, and Cenk Uger were talking about the death penalty, and Jimmy Dore was staunchly against the death penalty. He thought that putting someone to death, no matter what they did, just brought us down to their level. And surprisingly, Cenk and Brett were actually more in line with my thinking. My main reservation concerning the death penalty is that an innocent person may be mistakenly put to death. And I think that's probably a enough of a reason to forego or, or abolish the death penalty. But they were both saying how they're kind of like me. They do have a, a vengeful aspect or the sense of justice where, you know, there's some crimes that are so morally abhorrent and that maybe the just price is that the person who committed that act should have to forfeit their life. And I think, let's say, ideally, if one hundred, if you knew with 100% accuracy that someone like the two people who killed the Pettit family, well, except the father who survived, or the person who beheaded John Walsh's kid, if you knew you had them and it was the right person, no sliver of a doubt, I'd say put them to death. And yeah, maybe as a human being, if I was present, I might even cringe. You know, just watching another human being being put to death. Uh, I know this is a morbid conversation. But it's funny, I think to Jimmy Dore, to him, justice is not putting the cold-blooded murderer to death. Where for me, justice is, and maybe this sounds, you know, medieval and barbaric, but to me, justice is making the person pay, possibly even with their life, because their deed was so morally abhorrent and, I, and I'm not speaking in relative terms like picking up sticks on the Sabbath or two men sleeping together. Um, I'm not an Iranian cleric here uh, or whatever. I'm talking about morally abhorrent in the sense that they murdered or sadistically tortured to death innocent living human beings. And that a just price even though he can never bring back the dead, at least to try to even the scales, is that that person gets put down like a rabid animal, you know? 
if you could prove to me that they'd be more miserable in prison for life than they would be dead, uh, well, obviously I'm an atheist, so once you're dead, you're dead in my opinion. But if you could prove to me that life in prison would be a worse punishment, then hey, I'd go with that. I think it depends on the individual criminal. Some probably thrive, relatively speaking, in prison. For others, it's probably a nightmare. I remember hearing that one of the men, the one who raped the mother, had converted to Judaism in prison and was bitching and whining that he couldn't get his kosher meal. And this is a guy who had raped a mother and then helped burn a family to death. Has he no con? Well, he probably has no conscience or he wouldn't have done what he did in the first place. But how can you bitch and whine that you're not getting the right kind of meal when you did that to other human beings? You know, I would never do that to someone, but if somehow I did and I came to my wits once again or whatever, or uh, regained my moral compass, I'd want to kill myself. I wouldn't even want to be alive. I couldn't live with myself for doing those things to other living human beings. Um, Why the hell am I talking about this? Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, I was talking about how it's not just about the cold statistics, how likely you are to die by one cause versus another. It also has to do with intent. Chances are, thankfully, that no one listening to this podcast right now is going to be abducted and beheaded or have your house besieged and broken into by murderous psychopaths. You're much, you are much more likely to die on the highway or of natural causes. But that doesn't change the fact that we find death by intent much more disturbing. And, you know, as horrible as car accidents are, and I've been in a couple of bad car accidents myself, most of us try not to get into car accidents, you know? You can make an argument, and I've talked about this on the show before too, and I don't know if I'm unintentionally ripping off Sam Harris or not, but I've described it before that it's as if we've made a kind of social compact or something where we agree that a certain amount of people every year are going to be sacrificed, so to speak, on the altar of convenience so that we can keep driving our cars and get from A to B in a timely fashion. And we deem that quote-unquote acceptable. I put acceptable in quotes because most of us think that car accidents, fatal car accidents are horrific. And the very idea you know, makes most of us cringe. But somehow we, we've accepted collectively that as horrible as the certain amount of vehicular fatalities are every year, it's not enough to um, keep us from continuing enjoying the convenience of being able to jump into our shiny cars and transport ourselves from A to B. And I think the only time a real a moral factor comes into play, and I think actually Ben will mention this later, is seeing a case of drunk driving, or I would also say maybe like a teenager who's speeding and weaving in and out of traffic and endangering everyone else around. Otherwise, you know, an an accident is an accident. But being intentionally killed, especially in some truly morally appalling way, like in the case of young Adam Walsh or the Pettit family, chances of that happening to us are absolutely minuscule, especially in comparison to 
the chances of dying by natural causes or dying on the highway. But that doesn't change the fact that those stories, as relatively rare as they are, absolutely shock our moral sensibilities, and it makes us cry out for justice. And I think that's the same with terrorism. Yeah, there's only a small chance that any one of us are going to die by an act of terrorism. But that doesn't change the fact that the idea of someone blowing up innocent people. Uh, I'm in the Boston area, the greater Boston area, and I've talked a lot about the Boston Marathon bombing. So that happened probably like 15 or 20 minutes away from me uh, on a good day when traffic's not congested. Of course, 9-11, the Fort Hood shooting, the San Bernardino massacre, of course, overseas, Charlie Hebdo, um, the Paris attacks that involved the Bataclan Theater, uh, Brussels. When we hear about people gunning down innocent people in a crowded club, blowing themselves up in a subway station or whatever, putting pressure cooker bombs on the ground, tearing off legs, killing an eight-year-old boy, as, as was the case with the Boston Marathon, even though these things aren't really likely to happen to to us statistically. They make us cry out for justice. They morally shock us to our core. And so to compare these things coldly to influenza and car accidents, I mean, yeah, if the point you're trying to make is that we shouldn't live in fear of these things happening to us. Like I remember when I was younger, I was terrified of, of sharks um, and plesiosaurs, probably really on, I mean, I think you're more likely to get hit by lightning than, than killed by a shark. Uh, I imagine, uh, chances of being eaten by a plesiosaur are probably nil since they don't exist. Yeah. You know, it makes sense in a way to say, well, this is unlikely to happen to me, so I'm not going to live in fear over it. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be morally outraged by terrorism just because we're not likely relatively speaking, once again, to be victims of it. But I know I'm rambling, so I'll get back to the clip now. The point I'm making is that you're way less likely to be killed by a terrorist than any of those other things yeah, that like, most of us are not scared of. Because when you go out in public, obviously you're rolling the dice every time that something could happen. There could sure. be a terrorist attack. There, you could die. Alleviate, does that alleviate concern? No. But don't you think that it's better to handle things with like a cold clinical disposition? Like, we don't freak out that... So once again, hopefully it doesn't smack of backpedaling, but if TJ's point is that we shouldn't live in fear of terrorism, then I think as long as you're not burying your head in the sand and you acknowledge the seriousness of the threat and that something has to be done about it, then yeah, it's okay in your personal life to have a quote-unquote cold or clinical or cavalier attitude as if saying to yourself, yeah, I know this problem is out there. Maybe I'll get blown up at the shopping mall today. Maybe I won't. But I'm not going to spend my life quaking in my boots. I'm going to go about my daily business. If that's what he's trying to say, then I agree with that. 
so many people still die in car crashes. I we do. It, I do believe we that. acknowledge it. We acknowledge it's a problem, but you know, we work to solve it. We try to improve safety standards. We're trying to get self-driving vehicles out there and stuff. Uh, as far as yeah, influenza, you're, you're I mean, doctors are continuously just... battling these things. I mean, like, all I'm saying is that we take preventative measures against those things without being terrified of them. At least most of us aren't. Yet you're still comparing a crime with an accident, essentially. Sure. You see, when, it, when London was bombed, the attitude back then was still in the UK. Well, keep carry on. You do, you have all seen the poster, probably. Yeah. Yes, of course. But of course, and a million parodies time, of it. Sure. Yeah. Still, at the same time, the attitude <coughs> was as well. We are going to fight them. Sure. And what's wrong? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I have no objection to that. I'm just saying, don't make the same mistakes that America made after we were attacked by fucking terrorists. Where. You know, we become, the U.S. is still in Afghanistan. Yeah, we become they stabilized Iraq. I mean, we, the, the pretty much we become so video. scared and irrational that we fucking start making bad decisions. I'm sorry, you go ahead. And I kind of agree with TJ there to some degree as well. I'm probably significantly older than a lot of you guys out there listening or watching. I was already in my 20s when 9/11 happened. And despite that, I have to admit, I was somewhat naive when it came to politics. And I was so pissed off about 9-11, and I'm ashamed to admit this, but you probably could have talked me into attacking any uh, Middle Eastern country. And I can remember arguing with a friend over whether or not we should go into Iraq. And at the time, I was for it. And I think... In retrospect, that was a big mistake. Uh, probably one of the few things that I disagree on with the uh, late, great Christopher Hitchens, one of my personal heroes. So I do feel, in a way, like the government kind of exploited people's fear and anger over 9-11. I understand why we targeted Afghanistan, um, why we went in there. I didn't think we'd be <laughs> bogged down in there so long. Um but in retrospect, I don't think we ever should have went into Iraq. Saddam Hussein was an absolutely horrible guy. His sons were horrible. One in particular was um, exceedingly sadistic, if I remember correctly. Was it Uday? I forget which one it was. One of them was a real nightmare in comparison. So I understand why people want to rid the world of Saddam Hussein and his sons. But we got bogged down in an unnecessary war, destabilized the region, which helped facilitate the rise of ISIS. I believe in the beginning, at least, ISIS was at least partly made up of former Iraqi army personnel, including a significant number of officers, right? So I'm about to drop an F-bomb, but yeah, in retrospect, uh, I think going into Iraq just ended up being a complete clusterfuck. So I think we're right to be morally outraged over acts of terrorism, but we should keep our heads enough that we don't get so blinded with anger and fear that we make bad decisions, like invading Iraq. What, what makes you think that it is only about terrorism, what I'm talking about? Because well, no, I, I mean, it wasn't. I was just... I laid it out in my video that the sure. main issue that we have here is mainly the fact that the Islamic communities 
refuse okay. to be part of society. But the refuse. yeah, sure. but the, okay, but but yeah. the, pro the the problem is the tweet that you responded to was specifically talking about terrorism. So when you hold that up as an example of like, look at this stupid tweet he made, that was about terrorism. So you changed the subject by bringing that up. Yes, the tweet you made was about terrorism. I'll concede that. And I still believe the comparison is not valid. Why not? Like I said before, it is comparing apples with oranges because it is two completely different things. Well, that's the An point of an analogy. An analogy, you take two different things and find commonalities between them and compare them on that basis. That's true. But if there's a crucial difference between the two things being compared, then you end up with a flawed analogy. And the crucial difference here for me, and I think for many others, is intent. If I was the commonality between death by accident and death by being ripped. You died. You just you just said it. You just you said died. it. Death and death. 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 That's the commonality. Yes. And not to sound like a broken record, but once again, that overlooks the factor of intent. That's so, one and single commonality. But there are so many ways <coughs> to die. Sure. It's kind of irrelevant. It's like zooming out and well, saying, the, oh, but look, the whole, in the end, the, we're just all atoms. I actually loved that point made by Croton T. I thought it was really strong where he's saying, but there's so many different ways to die. It's like, as he put it, zooming out and saying, in the end, we're all just atoms. I think it diminishes both the seriousness of the threat of terrorism and the morally abhorrent nature of terrorism to just kind of write it off as just another way to die like slipping in the shower or whatever mm -hmm. but the whole point is the only point that i'm making with that tweet is just look how much less likely you are to die from this than you are from all of these other things look how remote the possibility is of dying from an act of terrorism compared to so many common, everyday, mundane ways you could die. So you were addressing so, fear. Yes, I was talking about the subject of fear. And once again, if we're talking specifically in regard to fear and how we should comport ourselves in the face of the threat of terrorism, then I agree with TJ somewhat that we shouldn't allow our daily lives to be ruled by fear. But in a way, now that I think about it, it just kind of dawned on me while talking. I think there might be a straw man element to that, because I think there's a lot of atheists on YouTube who do heavily criticize Islam, who regularly talk about the threat of terrorism, the threat of the mass immigration of people who don't seem overly willing to assimilate. But that doesn't mean that the people complaining about these issues, which are very valid uh, concerns, I think, that doesn't mean they're necessarily living in fear. Um, I, I don't think Kraut and T is hiding under his bed or anything like that. He's just addressing issues that he thinks need addressing. And I mean, I, I think that, you know, if you look at terrorism, I mean, terrorism, that's a, psych a psychological warfare strategy. It's saying, you know, it, they're not necessarily going after targets of, of strategic import, like we're going to uh, stop a supply line on or something contrary, like they that. Look at, they look for soft targets now. Yeah, they're looking for something that they can do to strike fear into the population of a country or, you know, to, to it, it, something they yeah, perceive look, as an enemy. They, they had people at, at a concert in Paris. I mean, that's a perfect example. People out having fun, it's like we're going to walk in there and blow a bunch of them away. 
way, and we're going to bomb a, a, a soccer uh, event. You know, it's like they want to strike fear into the hearts of people. It's, it's clear. I mean, they're, they're not choosing to let's attack a military base. They're not choosing to attack I mean, a military installation. In, in, that case, in that case, why not just simply say, don't be scared, don't lose your head, stay rational? Why make the comparison with accidents? Another great point by Croton T there. Uh, be, I don't know. Because I mean, it, I, did, I didn't. At the it, time I made it, I didn't realize it was going to be so controversial because it seems to me like a lot of people say, "Say, well, you can't compare them because this is an accident and this is intentional." But I'm not talking. But we're not talking. We're not comparing them in terms of like morality or something. We're comparing them in terms of like the fear response we have. To them. Yeah, unless it's dr I guess like drunk driving. Yeah. I'll, I'll, well, if TJ is being honest there. I think it shows a kind of alarming degree of disconnect really i mean you you must know how morally reprehensible people find terrorism and how people view it as this cancer on the world stage and you didn't think people would mind or get upset you don't you didn't think it would be controversial if you compared it to mundane ways of dying like car accidents and the flu and once again, I get the point he's trying to make. We shouldn't live in fear. But it just seems kind of bizarre, tone deaf. How could he not know that people would find that comparison controversial or offensive? People don't stand That's in terror like of, like, heart disease, even though... Deficit. It's also a bit of an invalid comparison, drunk driving deficit. <coughs> terrorism is terrorism. You know, sure, it's, sure. there's an ideological motivation behind it. Yeah, I mean, oh, of it's not just a crime. There's an ideological motivation behind doing it. It's it's also better organized. You see, um, when I say crime, you know, robbing a bank and murdering a guard at that bank, mm -hmm. the motive behind that is mainly probably greed. Whilst when I plant a bomb in a train station that goes off and rips people to shreds in the name of Allah, there's a clear ideological motivation behind it. Sure. I mean, no one's denying that. No, why would you? And that kind of irks me. They're saying no one's denying that. Why would you? As if Kraut and T is stupid for even bringing it up. But they left those factors, or TJ left those factors, out of that controversial tweet of his. And it took you until this point to acknowledge those factors, i.e. intent, ideology, etc. <laughs> Besides, the big difference between a death by car accident, for example, if I may, and I may being ripped to rust. Yeah, sure. Yeah, go uh, ahead. It seems to me you guys might be talking past each other a little bit. Like, TJ was talking about this uh, irrational fear of terrorism that seems to be at the forefront of a lot of the speech that we hear. Um, and you're more talking about the cultural drift of Islam. You're talking about this massive influx of people that don't share the values of your country. And your countrymen. Yes. Now, I think Paul's ego is going to go astray later on in this conversation. But right there, to be fair, I thought he did a great job of kind of simplifying and clarifying what the differences were between where TJ is coming from and where Kraut and T is coming from. And if I may add to that, a lot of people seem to believe that this is some kind of personal thing. Almost, I, I've seen the word drama and civil war creep up a lot on Twitter, etc. It's merely a disagreement as far as I see it. Sure. Right. The answer the answer can't be to demonize the people. It'll never work. Um, and that's the problem um, that I have with a lot is, of 
Well, a, a lot of the a lot of the critique that I that I see now is like, if you say something as simple as like, "There's a Muslim person that I know that's good," you're an you're an Islam apologist. You're just dismissed outright immediately. Like, being Muslim is the worst thing in the world. We need to call call the religion what it is well that is not exactly the climate i am seeing the climate i am seeing is as soon as you point out something that is completely going wrong in the islamic community people call you a racist or all sorts of horrible things to be honest i think they're actually both right and i feel like i'm kind of walking a tightrope between these two worlds you know i just try to be a decent honest guy who's respectful but at the same time doesn't give in to political correctness and just calls things as I see him and I try not to give preferential treatment to a particular religion because it's in vogue to say hands off uh, you know namely Islam uh, whenever I cover Islam on this show Every time I say something about Islam, it's somewhere in the back of my mind that if I'm too lenient, I risk catching flack from the anti-Islam crowd. If I'm too harsh in my criticisms, or if I don't pull any punches, which is often the case, um, when I talk about some particularly ugly and barbaric verses from the Quran, or I talk about Mohammed's underage wife, Aisha, or Aisha, um, or when I defend people who have reservations about mass immigration, I know I'm running the risk of catching flack from the politically correct crowd. And uh, it does get tiresome, but to be honest, I think I'm just starting not to care. I owe it to my listeners slash viewers and myself to be honest and, and, and not censor my opinions because I'm afraid of how people might judge me. Um, I, I imagine you guys are here because you're interested in hearing what I honestly have to say, not a censored, watered-down version of it. But anyway. Right. Well, we have that, too. I'm talking about specifically this kind of online Twitter environment that you're working in. Um, Where the, am I working? You mean and, and Anytime you state any wise. opinion. Yeah, anytime you state any opinion online, you're going to hear the antithesis spit back at you, of course. Look. Um, three months ago, a man in Germany was sentenced, uh, was dragged before a judge and told that if he ever posted a hateful comment directed at a Arab immigrant news reporter again, he would have to pay a 250,000 euro fine. And I don't know if I mentioned that earlier or not at the top of the show when I was talking about this climate where people in, in certain parts of Europe are afraid to even openly criticize Islam or voice their concerns about um, mass immigration. And I was going to mention also these cases where sometimes people even face legal consequences for speaking their minds. I'm not sure if in some of these cases people are just simply stating their concerns and it's being called hate speech or if it's actually hate speech. Um, but still a little jarring that people could face these heavy fines and even probation for speech. Now, in all fairness, I don't know what the comment was, but that is kind of the environment that we are in here. 
Yeah. Mm. I don't know about the United States, but the environment here in Europe, especially in Germany, mainly is say anything bad about the religion of peace and you're in trouble. Yeah, I mean, here it's, it's totally different because, I mean, like, we have a major presidential candidate who has no compunctions about saying whatever he wants. You know, uh, kind of on the same subject, recently a fan of Dusty Smith uh, in Singapore is having criminal charges brought against him. Yeah, he's saying, a, wow. Amos Yee, I believe his yep. name is. Yeah, he's been in jail. He was already in jail for 52 days for insulting that, Christianity. That happened to I you, too, it, TJ. I find it funny. That, that is the end of the video that you brought up, and I just, I just dismissed the end of your video as a straw man. I believe you assume that I somehow, just because I am from here, mm. believe in regulating speech. I absolutely don't. I think it's fucking shameful that we have these strict hate speech laws. I and do too. I, yeah. I do to a certain degree still wonder where you get this assumption from. Uh, I think it was just because you you characterized me as soft on Islam and I felt like we agreed on everything so i figured the only things you could possibly take issue with are those two stances i described at the end um because you know i don't think i have been weak on islam i think i've been just as happy to criticize islam as christianity it's just i don't have as much exposure to it mm -hmm. so i when, when you're saying when you're characterizing me as oh he's weak on islam i say I, you know i immediately think well he must be one of the these people in this camp who thinks this and this and this so I'm sorry, I made a bad assumption there, but um, I think if you watch, I think if you watch the way that I phrased it, even then I was kind of tentative. Like I, I wasn't sure if that was what you believed, because I didn't see you explicitly say that in your video. But I kind of assumed that must be it. Um, and later on, I realized when I watched this response actually that I was mistaken about that, and I was like, oh, I don't think we really even disagree on the subject of Islam at all. My main issues of contention with your video were your characterization of Americans as not being qualified to speak out on these issues because we've dealt with yes. radical Islam. Well, well, we've well, also there is dealt. A difference. There is a I know. Hold on. Let me let me address that difference though. Let me address that difference because I already know what you're going to say you're going to talk about how your video is about the encroachment yeah, of Islam. Yeah. And, but we face that shit too. We face that with uh, Mexico. The, the same rhetoric of oh these Mexican immigrants they come here they don't adapt to our our culture they fucking form these little enclaves and they commit crimes they do all this stuff i mean this, donald trump is running on this shit well it's kind of an interesting comparison i think in the u.s for some reason we do a better job or, or rather our immigrants our muslim immigrants do a better job of assimilating than what we see in europe it could be just a numbers game. Europe, specifically Germany, has taken in massive amounts of, immig of uh, Muslim immigrants at once. And I would imagine the more foreigners you bring in at once, the harder it is to assimilate all those people or have those people successfully assimilate. And as far as TJ's analogy to Mexican immigration, uh, I'm not really sure... Uh, I think that analogy might be a little flawed. America is, of course, a sovereign nation, but the Americas, plural, are a host to a lot of indigenous people, uh, a lot of people of mixed native and Spanish blood uh, that we would call Hispanic. This is, of course, a result of the Spanish conquest of the Americas and you know the, the interbreeding with native peoples. So there's been a Hispanic presence in the Americas and in America for a very long time. 
and I mean, hell, uh, California used to belong to Mexico. So I think it's a little different than, say, people from the Middle East in, in large numbers suddenly pouring into Western Europe. I think TJ might have somewhat of a valid point when he compares the fear of illegal immigration over the Mexican border into the States and, you know, fear about the violence and drugs that might come with it to the fear of the cultural decay and the threat of terrorism and violence that might come along with, with a massive influx of people from the Middle East into, once again, Western Europe. But in both cases, I don't think having legitimate concerns regarding immigration necessarily means you're a racist. Uh, you take someone like me, I do my best not to judge people on skin color. I've gotten called regressive before for my views on race, you know. So as long as they're a good and decent person who has respect for their host country and the laws and values of their host country, I mean, I don't care what color you are. Uh, but like I said, I think you can still have pragmatic and valid concerns about immigration without being a racist. I mean, anecdotally speaking, all my personal experiences with people who happen to be Hispanic have all been very positive that I can recall, whether it's the students who happen to be Hispanic that I went to design school with or the workers who happen to be Hispanic that I've rubbed elbows with doing construction I mean, I've never had any negative run-ins. Uh, back when I was in elementary school, I think there was a kid who played soccer named Raul, who was a dick. But other, but other than that, I think all my experiences with Hispanic people have been very, very positive. But at the same time, I can definitely see why people would look at things like violent gangs like MS-13 or the cartel violence in Mexico or the border violence and be a bit concerned. And I don't think that makes you a racist. To reiterate, I think you could be a person who doesn't judge people on skin color, who's not a racist, but just practically, pragmatically speaking, you have some concerns. Like If there's a bunch of violence in this country and we're not doing a good job controlling our immigration process, is a significant amount of that violence and crime going to come over the border? I actually think that's a legitimate concern. Later, Paul is going to try to put Kraut on the spot, I feel funny saying Kraut, and try to pin him down on what his ultimate, you know, solution is to all this. Kind of censored myself there, made sure not to say final solution. And to me, I think whether we're talking about Mexico here or, or we're talking about mass immigration in Europe, I think it all comes down to practical and sensible immigration policies and to the best of your ability trying to vet people coming into your country and maybe trying to get the amount of people coming in at a given time down to a reasonable level so that people have time to assimilate or the country the host country has time to assimilate those coming in in the case of europe um namely Germany, I think what is definitely not going to make the problem better is to keep allowing massive influxes of immigrants into your country when you already have 
a large immigrant population that's having trouble assimilating. And to bury your head in the sand and adopt this super politically correct attitude where people feel like they can't even discuss the situation. Well, so, I mean, Mexico is a Western culture. Sure. It is Latin inherently. I mean, I've met a few Mexicans that to me, they're not that much different than Spaniards. Sure. There's a big difference between immigration from a culture that is at least somewhat similar to yours and immigration from a culture that is completely different. Not just completely I mean, different. If you talk to a lot of conservative Americans, they feel the way that way about Mexicans, though. Yeah, like, I, well, oh, yeah, the, I don't. the main talk difference the main difference between Mexicans and Spaniards is most Mexicans also have native ancestry too. But more importantly, the the main difference between Mexicans and your Arab Pakistani immigrant is that the Pakistani immigrant comes from a country where a third of the male population believe that raping young boys is okay. I'm just trying to conduct myself responsibly here. I'm not familiar with that one in three poll concerning Pakistani men and the rape of boys. And man, the things I Google on my computer for you people. I think last week, what was it? Uh, Bakabazi dancing boys and uh, that whole thing where Afghani warlords have these kind of pleasure boys that... Uh, dress up like women, uh, and then the, the boys get passed around like party favors, sexual favors uh, among other men. Uh, really disturbing. Uh, and now it's uh, this poll. I had trouble finding the source of the poll, but I saw a lot of what seemed like really right-leaning magazines discussing it. The most reputable source I think I found just doing my quick cursory research was from the Daily Mail. And that article claims that Pakistan has more than 1.5, I think it was, million homeless boys, and that 90% of them, according to the article, have been victims of abuse. And it gives examples of how, among a lot of men, there doesn't seem to be any taboo about sexually abusing young boys, and these men are actually quite open about it. So, disturbing stuff. Yeah, I mean... That um, is a significant difference. Sure. Yeah, it I mean, it's, it's undeniably, undeniably. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we, we look at the opinion polls that come out of, like, Muslim countries and even Muslims in Western countries, and the results are... Pretty abysmal. Extremely discouraging when it comes to almost every subject matter. I mean, you could find some countries where the Muslims are pretty moderate. It's not like this is a universal problem to all of Islam, and I hate that characterization, but there's definitely a very troubling number of Muslims who believe some pretty scary things, like death for apostasy. There are instances where suicide bombing is okay, and, you know, that uh, the, these people are martyrs who will go to heaven. You know, there's all, we, we always see that, those statistics. I've not seen the yes. boy rape statistic. Yeah, of course, but, we see countries yes, like Saudi is, Arabia and Pakistan. we are getting here. That is the main problem we're having. There is, there's a lot of people who address Islam itself, the theology. There's a lot of people who address uh, the implications of terrorism. But few are willing to address the implications of culture itself, of society itself, and of the impact of importing this. So what do you think, uh, what do you think the solution is? More sensible immigration policies, 
and increased efforts to promote assimilation. I know that's easier said than done, but that would kind of be my ballpark starting place. I have no fucking clue. I mean, I, we're hardly talking about it. This is the problem. That is the thing. This it's is... starting to talk about it. <coughs> Consider this. Um, shortly after the Paris test tax, this is something where I don't know what exactly to think about it. The Austrian parliament decided to um, uh, pass a bill that criminalizes the financing of religious institutions in Austria from abroad. Now you're talking. That actually makes a lot of sense to me. I think a big problem, one reason why people have trouble assimilating, is in a lot of European countries, not much seems to be done to deal with radical imams and, and people being radicalized within mosques. Uh, I imagine a big reason why more isn't done to, to deal with this stuff is, once again, political correctness. Meaning that all Saudi Arabian mosques and mosques financed by Saudi Arabia were shut down. And this was done mainly because, believe it or not, every time a bomb goes off, and I'm not just talking about Europe, I'm talking about the world, every time a fucking bomb goes off, you will find Saudi money. And we know from intelligence reports that the Saudis, rich Saudis, rich Qataris, rich Kuwaitis, actively financed Islamist communities in Europe. And the sad so, thing is that my my country that? still my still my country still uh, considers Saudi Arabia an ally yeah, but for I some mean, reason. Weren't, weren't that, that's the, for, that's for political reasons. Weren't obviously, the, weren't the nine eleven hijackers predominantly Saudi? Yes, they were. Yeah. yeah. Saudi Arabia is like the major oh, exporter dude, of it's terrorism. A ter it's a terrible country. Well, it's also where Mecca is. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, the, pro the, the problem, as I see it, is that people are afraid because I don't believe for a second that Kraut T hasn't thought about some solutions to this. Here we go, Paul switching over into dick mode. He's going to try to suggest or imply that Kraut and T's solution, and he must be a mind reader because he never said this, is war. You can have concerns about immigration or, and terrorism um, without thinking the only solution is to carpet bomb the Middle East or something. You know, like I was trying to do, you can try to come up with some kind of sensible solutions and reforms that could maybe be implemented. Just because you have concerns about these things doesn't mean you're some hawk. Doesn't what have do any idea. Like, like I, I think people are okay, afraid me... to talk about the solutions because they're afraid that the solutions will offend the sensibilities of everybody around them. Well, there's some truth to that, sadly, because there's such a politically correct climate that even if it's a, a sensible solution, like maybe we should cut down on how many people we allow in at once, uh, people are afraid that they're going to be called bigoted or hard-hearted. You know, it's not enough that you let a million in. Uh, <laughs> you know, you have to let everyone in or whatever. And I know there are a lot of heartbreaking stories about people who die trying to escape Libya, Syria, etc. And as cold as it might sound, you have to balance your desire to help these people with, with also what's in the best interest of your own country. That doesn't mean you completely close your doors. It just means maybe you take a more sensible approach to immigration because cultural drift you don't cultural drift doesn't just stop right so what are your what are your <coughs> big blunt tools war right 
Well, you've got to go to war doing with these right now. War to stop, quote unquote, cultural drift. And by that, I, I believe Paul means, you know, what's giving a lot of people in Europe concern when they see massive amounts of foreigners coming in at once. And there's a fear that these people might fail to assimilate and that might change or have a deleterious effect on the existing culture, etc. Uh Go to war because of cultural drift. What do you, what the Germans gonna drop bombs on Germany <laughs> to try to blow up all the uh, the migrants or immigrants? No, 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 no. We are already <laughs> at war, by the way, with a certain Islamic state. Uh, what Not do enough. I do? I point out statistics, I at least talk about the realities, and well. For example, one thing I really like to do is talk with uh, talk to ex-Muslims, including introverted smiles, who I believe you covered here, including uh, Focus Break Habib. I don't know if you know him. He's a Saudi Arabian ex-Muslim YouTuber and various other people. So I believe that attacking ideas within these communities is an important aspect of this. I actually think that's a really good point. You know, usually the politically correct people are... Say, no, you can't attack someone's religion, no, hands off, you can't criticize Islam. But if you can, as he put it, you know, attack those ideas from within and get people to adopt a more secular worldview, I think that's going to help people assimilate. That's going to help people move away from... Um, the pull towards radicalism and fundamentalism, etc. That's why they, it's good to talk to people like I and Hersi Ali, or even Majid Nawaz is uh, still a practicing Muslim, but he's a reformer. And I think it's good to have dialogues with uh, people like, like that. Because if you take a look at the ex-Muslim YouTube community, it's a very small community right now. Um, they face attacks that you possibly couldn't even imagine. They, for example, face uh, false DMCAs, not with the intent to take their videos down, but with the intent to get their private addresses and names. And that's one aspect that I believe, one road that I believe should be walked down, which is furthering the humanistic ex-Muslim communities, uh, at least from my perspective as an atheist, that is a good route, route to take. And, of course, just facing reality. I just want to interrupt to say that it's kind of funny that Paul was trying to paint Kraut as a warmonger. Turns out he's a humanist, Paul. Paul, Paul is round as a ball. Pointing out the statistics, pointing out what is going on, talking about it openly in an open forum, which is currently not being done, unfortunately. I, I, I guess it's not a strange idea to me that you're it, this has been happening in Europe for a very long time and i'm not even I know from europe and i know not, where not... your line of reasoning comes from because the far right and the extreme far right in europe is a completely different and more dangerous beast than the right in the united states and it has been on the rise here very slowly creeping up in the past few years and the main reason for it is Okay, there's lots of reasons, but one of the main reasons is nobody is willing to openly talk about the problems that come from importing aspects of an Islamic society to Europe. Well, I mean, it's the same thing that happens with any black market. It's, you know, you prohibit something, it's going to go underground, and that goes for ideas, too. You know, if you start making it impossible for people to actually have a real conversation about 
um, Islam yeah, and the exactly effect it's having you. on society. I mean, you push people underground. You push people into the arms of, of a far-right leaning group. Legitimize fanatics. Yeah. In those circumstances. I mean, I agree right. with that. But what, what are the, like, I'm a very solution-oriented person. What do you do? Because just, I, I know talking about it is important, but a lot of people are talking about it now. Like, I, I, I don't, and, and nothing's happening. It's still, it's still, ha like, this, this cultural drift, one culture and another culture clashing has happened over and over and over throughout our history. Of course. And the end result is always, like, war or some mass expulsion of people. Um, some some forced uh, immigration. Like, is it really you... that much about culture? So that's Paul's kind of caricature. He thinks the two the people who want to talk about this stuff and who have concerns that their two solutions are either war or mass deportation or exp expulsion. No one is talking about mass deportation. I'm sure there probably are some people out there. There's probably some people on the far right who are. I think you do the humane thing. You let the people who are already in the country stay unless they're committing crimes like um, the people who perpetrated those New Year's Eve assaults in Cologne and other parts of um, Europe. If there's any of that, in my book, if I could be king for a day, you're gone. You're gone. We're either locking you up or you're going back. Um, and I know we're all supposed to value free speech, but I think to some degree free speech should have limits. And maybe I'm sounding like a bit of a hypocrite because I brought up people being fined for speaking out against immigration, etc. But I think if you have like a, a radical mullah or cleric who's preaching against his host country, who's promoting terrorist ideas and, and trying to radicalize people, uh, that guy, if he wasn't uh, a legal citizen, gone. You are gone. If he is a legal citizen, as harsh as it sounds, there should be a way to basically kind of defrock the guy to forbid him from running a religious establishment or whatever. You know, there must be some kind of laws against sedition or inciting violence. There's got to be ways you can shut these guys up. Or punish them for spewing violent, radical ideas or trying to radicalize people. Yeah, so once again, you know, if I were king for a day, I would, my general policy would be, if you're a law-abiding person, all right, you get to stay. There's no one, there's not going to be a mass deportations or whatever. If you're a criminal and you're not a citizen, you're gone, especially if you're supporting terrorism or trying to radicalize people. And then from that point on, you try to enact some kind of sensible immigration reforms. Or is it more about values? It's a, it's a culture thing. Okay, you're, then... you're a member of a culture, okay? Your culture thinks that <coughs> raping little boys is abhorrent in every fucking uh, concept. And this other, you pointed it out yourself to point out the difference between Mexicans and Muslims. This culture, it, it, like, you, you can't say these people are wrong because a third of them, they, they're raised in a culture where that's the truth. Oh, I can indeed say they're wrong. I don't want to get into a, a big discussion about objective morality or whatever. Uh, 
But I think you can make a good, solid case why an adult praying sexually on a child is a bad thing and, and why that conclusion should be embraced universally. I think we can go to psychology, reason, biology, what we know about human development, and, and make a good solid case that men should not be raping little boys. And I don't know what Paul's doing. It sounds like he's almost arguing for the sake of arguing. He almost sounds like he's on the verge of defending cultural relativism. And <laughs> in a weird way, it almost sounds like he's sticking up for these poor child effers who, you know, it's not their fault. They're just the product uh, of a different culture. I, I don't know what the hell he's trying to prove. And I think after I first listened or watched this episode, I left a couple of glib little comments. I think uh, one I said, uh, most people probably didn't even get it. Um, I've been on a Japanese super robot kick recently. They're my favorite toys when I was a kid. And I recently, I, I think this is what sparked it. I drew up a tattoo for one of my friends, a um, uh, friend and also bandmate of the super robot. He was known as Grandizer in the States. He's also known as Grandizer, Goldorak, etc. Uh, man, am I sounding nerdy. But I drew up a tattoo of Grandizer for him. And I said jokingly, has anyone ever considered using Grandizer to fight terrorism? And that would be awesome. I bet a big super robot could easily wipe out ISIS, even if they're hiding in the community. You know, you could use those dexterous robot hands and pluck them up and smush them like ants and stuff. What the hell am I talking? Sleep deprivation. But I did also make a serious comment. And, and I believe what I said, I'm going by memory here, paraphrasing myself, that I really like Paul, but it's as if he's trying too hard to try to take Kraut and T down a peg or put him on a spot, but he lacks the intellectual firepower to do so, and it's making him look petty and overly combative. And I've always liked Paul's ego, and I never thought I'd say something kind of that borderline cruel about him, but that's how he came off to me in this exchange. And I'm actually wiped, so I'm just going to call it quits. And you guys know a drill. You can like the Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter, um, yada, yada. <clears throat> I never, ever said yada, yada until I started doing this show. And uh, if you want to support the show monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash the doubt and support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. Or you can use the, the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that alliteration. All right, I'm going to bed later.